By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. I am very excited to have a replay on the Conscious Fertility Podcast with Dr. Bruce Lipton. This is from a talk I did with Bruce or interview I did with Bruce Lipton back in 2020 on the Conscious Talk series. And it's still relevant today what he is sharing. So I really wanted to introduce those that don't know Dr. Bruce Lipton to my listeners here on the Conscious Fertility Podcast. And for those that do know Bruce, you're going to really enjoy this. He's the author of The Biology of Belief and also a book that I really enjoy, especially if you're in a relationship or wanting to get into a relationship, his book on The Honeymoon Effect. And he has many more books, but those two I highly recommend. In our talk, he's going to share the difference between genetics versus epigenetics and how we really can't be victims anymore. So we're not so much our genes, but what our genes express. He's going to share this idea of mind and the two parts of consciousness and subconscious and how the two are interdependent parts, how we can change programs so we no longer self-sabotage. We're going to have a, a little discussion on how he sees acupuncture as a way of assessing the consciousness that is interfacing with our body and also how we can change programs of fear and much more. So so I hope you enjoy this interview that I did back in 2020 with Dr. Bruce Lipton. And as I mentioned, it's still relevant today. When we recorded this, he was in New Zealand. I was in Vancouver. And the internet cut out maybe three times. So just to give you a warning or a heads up that it's not on your end. It's in the raw footage. Pretty much the whole interview, it's clear, sounds okay, sounds great. However, there's probably three places where it goes a little wonky, but that's only for a few seconds. So just pursue through it and uh, enjoy this uh, discussion with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Nice to see you, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I am happy to be here with you. Thank you so very much for the invitation. I'm excited to have you. I don't know if you know, but I met you in the early days when you did some talks with the Adam Dream Healer in Vancouver. Yes. So I went to a couple of, I went to that lecture. Then you were a speaker at the, at a Chinese medicine conference in Vancouver. We talked at that time, I had a young kid about vaccinations and you talked about my beliefs. And then most recently I was in Nanaimo when you spoke with Joe and Greg and the gang and you signed my book because I've had, I've had your book for ages and uh, I got you to sign my book as well. So now I get to interview you, which I think is such a, a pleasure and a privilege. Well, I am honored because you have a voice out there and you have an audience out there and it's significant to give the messages of empowerment to people at this time when the world looks so crazy to them. I don't want them to give up. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity you provide me 
with talking to the community. Excellent. Well, then we're going to get right into it then, because again, that is my intention today is my audience through the online platform I have called Healthy Seminars has tons of acupuncturists, naturopaths, and functional medicine. And then my clinic in Vancouver, Acubalance, the public. And I really want to do my role of spreading consciousness and what we can do as individuals to help heal our minds and heal our planets. And so that's kind of what my intention is. And I figured it'd be fun to talk to what I think of you as the biologist who's transformed into the spiritualist. (laughs) True story. And I'm very happy for it too, because in retrospect, it's like, I have a heck of a better life now than I did before doing that. That's for sure. And that's what I want to share with the audience. And it's nice when I think a lot of people like to use science to demystify the mysticism. And there's a lot of people from for centuries who've talked about a lot of the stuff you're sharing. However, it was purely almost faith-based. And I like the fact that you're able to bring science because our society, myself included, when we can kind of measure it or understand it a little bit with our five senses, we feel a little bit better. And I think that's what you bring to this conversation is the fact that you can bring your background as a biologist and really understanding on a cellular level what's happening with consciousness in this discussion we're about to have. Well, yeah, Lauren, I think the whole idea simply is that in today's civilization, science has attained the position of truth provider. It used to be the church in the last civilization. You want some answer, you go to the church and the guy in the black coat gives it to you. And today, you go to the science and the guy in the white coat gives you the answer. But all of a sudden, it brings it into the realm of, oh, that sounds respectable. (laughs) Well, let's warm up the audience because I think many of the people that are tuning into this, that are watching this, are familiar with your podcast, your videos, your books. And, and let me just give a shout out that if you're interested in knowing more and hearing more from Bruce Lipton, his website is brucelipton.com. He's got his books there. I highly recommend that. Maybe you have more now, but the three I've read is Biology of Beliefs, Spontaneous Evolution, and The Honeymoon Effect. So those are available on your website. He has a newsletter. He has an online program where he's giving discourses on a regular basis. So go to brucelipton.com and then you can find all these resources resources and books regarding Bruce. What I wanted to warm them up with, because some people may be new to hearing this idea of consciousness and, and the work that you're really? doing. Really? Really? We didn't talk to everybody yet? <laughs> yeah. You haven't reached everybody yet, but this is our this is our goal. And so I thought just to start off with, I, I love your discussion about genetics versus epigenetics. And, and the takeaway is basically my understanding is we can't be victims anymore based on the science of showing how our thoughts affect our genes. Can you give an explanation about this epigenetic versus genetics and how we can't be victims anymore? Okay, well, the first understanding is this, that conventional belief deals with the fact that genes apparently control the characteristics of our life. And it first started out as physical characteristics, and then genes were, uh, you know, led to be uh, leaders of our behavior and genes influencing our emotion. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, we perceive ourselves to be genetic automatons, that the genes uh, in our body control our fate. And I say, well, wait a second. I say, as far as you know, you didn't pick the genes you came with, okay? If you don't like the characteristics, you can't change the genes that you came with. And uh, lastly, the genes we are told turn on and off by themselves, which then leaves us out of that control mechanism. And you put all those pieces together and it's like, oh my God, my life is controlled by genes and I don't control my genes. And therefore, I'm not in control of my life. And you know, once people are imbued with that belief, they immediately lock into victim. Oh, I got, I've got genes that are going to kill me. I've got genes genes that can cause cancer. I got genes that give me Alzheimer's. Like, I'm just waiting for the day when those genes do it. And that 
that takes power out of an individual's life. I am not powerful in creating my life. My genes are. That was the program. Okay. Uh, and that's what I was teaching medical early on when I was doing my research. The research started to reveal that genetically identical cells in different environments have totally different experiences and expressions. In other words, while genes may have, uh, cells may all have the same genes, it was the environment that determined the character quality of life for those cells. And I go, well, what's the relevance here? And I say, ah, we are the ones that determine the character of the environment. So if genes are controlled by environment, first they have to be, the environment is picked up by our consciousness, nervous system, and then we make an interpretation of that uh, environment. And then we send signals to the cells to say, this is what the environment is. What are you going to do now to uh, keep us alive in this environment? So basically, the difference is this. Genes and genetics tell us what we're going to do. And the current understanding of epigenetics, and, and it sounds like the same, but let's emphasize the most important little three letters there, epi. Epi means above. So uh, skin is called epidermis. And the reason for that is below the layer, the top layer of the skin is a layer called the dermis. So epidermis means above the dermis. Epigenetics means control above the genes. And now we recognize that the environment that we interpret is what actually is controlling our genetic activity. I say, well, significance is this. If I change my interpretation of the environment or my perceptions of life, then by definition, I change my genetics. And all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, then I'm in charge of my genetics, not the environment. I go, that's the big difference. The uh, Most people are programmed, I'm a victim, cancer's running in my family, I probably have this so-called cancer gene and I'm gonna get cancer and automatically their consciousness is focused on, oh, I'm anticipating any time now to get that cancer uh, versus epigenetics it says, wait, I control the activity of the genes based on my perception. If I change my perception, I change my biology. I go, absolutely, 100%. Therefore, since I'm in charge of my perception, then I'm in charge of my genes, and therefore, I'm not a victim of anything other than my perception, because our perceptions aren't just created by us. Uh, we are programmed to buy perceptions from parents, family, community, teachers, etc. And so a lot of the perceptions that control our lives didn't come from us, but they came from other people. And then all of a sudden it's then they control my life. I don't control my life because I bought their perceptions. And yet what we're all here for right now, Lauren, is the moment you change your perceptions is your ability now to change your genetic activity. And once we recognize that, it's like, oh my God, I can master my life. And I go, yes, you can. But it's not enough to just know it because as you heard before, you can read self-help books. And so what is happening to us? Because you talk a lot about the conscious and the subconscious. So can you go on? Because people go, okay, everything that happens is neutral. I give it meaning, but how do I control the meaning I give it to it? Because it seems like that's a lot of effort and people have good intentions, but yet they're still not changing their perception. Right. And that's because another misperception is the concept called the mind. When you say the mind, you're implying the existence of a single entity, a mind. <laughs> I go, first problem is the mind is actually comprised of two interdependent parts, meaning two parts that have their own functions, but it can integrate together and create something. So I say, let's define the two parts because this is where the whole crux of life issues come from. 
and that is this. The latest evolution of the brain right behind your forehead here is called the prefrontal cortex. It's a lobe of brain tissue, sticks right out in front of the brain. This is the seat of the conscious mind. The rest of the brain, about 90% of it, is constituting what we call the subconscious mind. So now I have two parts of the brain, conscious, subconscious. But now I have to say they have different functions and the biggest problem is they learn in different ways. So let's step back and say the function of the conscious mind is the one connected to your personal source, your identity, your spirit. And the character of the conscious mind, and this is critical, is creativity. The conscious mind can be creative. It can have imagination. It could think of anything and then create something. I mean, you can have the idea, let's go to the moon. Oh, well, then first we create the rocket ship. Then we go to the moon. So we create that, okay? And I say, well, okay, so that's the creative part of the mind. It occupies about 10%. And then I say, well, and what are the 90%? I call it subconscious mind. I go, oh, what's different? I go, well, first of all, this function is not creativity. The function of the subconscious mind is programs programs that uh, allow us to carry on our life because we don't have to relearn things that take us a while to learn. I'll give a very important example. Learning how to walk occurred around age two. And I go, well, guess what? Once you learn how to walk, you could be 100 years old. You still got, you, you have a program to learn how to walk. So the programs that come in are very critical because we don't have to learn how to walk every day. Imagine, I mean, if you had to relearn how to walk every day, then you spend all day learning how to walk, go to bed, and then wake up and start learning again. <laughs> but the reality is, <clears throat> once we have a habit, all I have to have is the intention of walking to the other side of the room and the intention and then next thing I'm walking. So I say, well, this is really cool. The conscious mind has a creative nature. Let's go to the other side of the room. But the subconscious mind has the habit of walking. And the reason is uh, on a quantitative basis, the mathematics of walking and nerves and muscles is so complex that it, it would just stun your conscious mind with how much it had to do. But the subconscious mind, a million times more powerful a computer, can handle walking no problem at all. So our habits are put into our subconscious mind. And I go, so what's the relevance of this? So I start off and I say, give a very simple example. I say, you buy a brand new computer, you take it home. Home, it's got an operating system. So you say, start, and the thing boots up. Now I say, now do something with it. They go like, what? I say, uh, write. Oh, do you have a write program? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Uh, how about art? Oh, you don't have an art program? Oh, no, you, you can't do anything with it. So the point is simply this. A computer with an operating system is not functional to do anything if it doesn't have any programs in it. So when a child is developing, the brain, being a computer, first step is operating system. But once I have an operating system, how do I do anything with it? And the answer is first, you have to download programs. And the brain of a child is actually, even the last trimester of pregnancy, the last trimester before a child is even born, the brain is already operating in a record mode to download programs. And it operates as a download of programs through age seven. So the first seven years of your life is not based on creativity. It's based on downloading behavior. I say, how you do it? I say, the mind is in a uh, low vibrational state. And what I mean vibration is where you put wires on a person's head, you can read electroencephalograph, you can read brain vibrations. Higher vibrations are in consciousness, lower vibration is subconscious. First seven years, we don't even reach really as predominant level, the vibration of consciousness. We are pretty much locked into subconscious. It's called theta in, in the technology. I say, what's relevant about it? Well, theta is record. 
So during the first seven years of a child's life, you record the programs that your computer is going to use. So I download not just read and write programs, I download how to be a member of a family, how to be a member of a community, how to behave, how not to behave. I go, oh yeah, how did I get all that? I said, first seven years, you just observed it. You're like a video recorder. Everything you see, everything you hear, boom, download subconscious. Why? Conscious mind's not working yet. Conscious mind only works when you have enough programs in there to then use those. A very important aspect of that, uh, Lauren, that I think we should emphasize is that the conscious mind is not working during this period. I say, so what? I say, well, then the programs that get downloaded were never reviewed by you. They were just downloaded, whatever they were, good programs, bad programs, limiting programs, whatever. They were downloaded. Conscious mind wasn't there to go, oh, that's a good one. That's a bad one. No, conscious mind wasn't there at all. So I say, well, then the, the programs in the subconscious were never reviewed by you. They came from other people. So th that's how you get off the ground. So by age seven, you start to become conscious. Now you can use the programs of how to move through your family and move through your community and know all the rules to do so and all that. Uh, but then you become creative because after age seven, the conscious mind creativity kicks in. Now, the problem is this, the creative mind expresses your wishes and desires. Lord, I, I, I what do you want out of your life? If you answer that question, that's a creative answer. By definition, you have to use creative brain, conscious mind. So I go, oh, so the conscious mind is creative. It has your wishes and desires. What do you want? Love, health, happiness, community, job. That's creative. That's really wonderful. I say the subconscious mind just got programs, programs that are good. And unfortunately, about 70% of the programs we downloaded as kids were disempowering or self-sabotaging beliefs that limit who we really are. Uh, and I say, okay, well, fine. I'm not going to use the subconscious mind. I got conscious mind. I would be creative and make my wishes and desires come true. And I go, great intention. The problem is this. The conscious mind, look at your body as a vehicle. And there's a steering wheel that takes you to where you want to go. And when the conscious mind's driving the vehicle, you're going toward what? Wishes and desires, aspirations. Great. But here comes a problem. The conscious mind can also think. So what's the problem? I go, thinking is an internal job. Meaning, let's say right now I ask you a question. I say, uh, tell me what you're doing at Thursday. And you look around, you go, well, there's no answer out here. Where's the answer? What I'm doing? Oh, it's inside. I have to think. So I go inside my head, Thursday, what am I planning? What am I doing? I got, so I see I got my eyes closed right there. I'm thinking. I say, why is it relevant? Because thinking redirects the conscious mind to go inward, not look outside. So closing my eyes helps me to go inward because that's where the answers are. So I go, oh, then the process of thinking causes the conscious creative mind to look inwards and stop looking outwards. I go, so what, why is that important? I say, well, what if you're driving your car when the conscious mind is thinking it lets go of the wheel? Yes. But whatever you're doing is now going to be taken over by the subconscious mind, which is the habit mind, the program mind. I go, yeah, I, when I learned how to drive a car, I learned also the behavior of driving the car as a subconscious program. I don't have to think about it. Go back to the first day you got in the car and put the ignition key in there. And it's like, oh my God, gauges, windows, mirrors, you know, what's going on? Overwhelming. Now I say, today you've been driving a long time. What do you do? You get in the car, you put the key in, start it. You're thinking about where you're going. You're thinking about what you're going to do. All of a sudden I say, well, man, when you first started driving, it was all conscious attention. I say, yeah, but once I learned how to drive, it's now a habit. And if it's a habit, subconscious is driving. I'm not. So 
I'm driving the car, I'm paying attention to the road, what's going on. Then all of a sudden I think about, oh yeah, well, I'm going to go to the store and uh, my eyes are essentially closed. Why? I'm thinking. And I go, oh my God, what's going to happen? I say, the moment my conscious mind, the driver, lets go of the wheel, subconscious mind is autopilot. It will pick up the wheel and start driving. It knows how to drive. It knows how to walk. It knows how to talk. It knows how to do your job. So biggest problem. Finally, Bruce gets around to it, Lauren. Use a lot of words to get here, but here we are. And here's the problem. The conscious mind, which is creative, is actually controlling your destiny about 5% of the day because 95% of the day is the time the average person spends thinking. So that means, let's do the math, 5% of the day you're driving your vehicle in the direction of wishes and desires, great. 95% of the day you're driving a vehicle based on the program you got from other people. And if that program doesn't satisfy where you want to go, I can't help it. You're going to be taken to wherever that program took you. If it's a positive program, great. If it's a negative program, you can manifest all that negative stuff. So basically, what it comes down to is this. Are we running our lives with our wishes and desires? Or are we running our lives with programs? And the answer is 5% wishes and desires, 95% program. I go, well, what are the programs? Because you, these programs are up to 70% of them are disempowering, self-sabotaging. And you go, well, I got the program in the last trimester of pregnancy through the first seven years. So then I ask, okay, so what programs you get when you were zero? Mm, no, nah, I, don't, I don't remember that one. Okay, what program did you get when you were two? I, no, I don't remember that one. Huh? <laughs> and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second. 95% of my life is running from a program. And most of those programs, I was never there consciously to see or to filter these programs. Whatever they are, 95% of my life is going to come from them. And then when you find out that the vast majority of these programs are disempowering and they're working 95% of the day, and, and here's the, the big click here, Lauren, and that is it's called subconscious for a reason. Sub means below. And so 95% of the day, you're operating subconsciously below consciousness. I said, well, then how is it being run? I said, consciousness can go disappear and think and do whatever it wants. Subconscious knows how to grab the wheel and drive, but it's only going to drive you to the destination that the programs have given you. And if most of those programs are negative, then guess what? 95% of the day, you're driving off the road. And you're, you're in a lot of problem right here. And I go, well, well, geez, I would know that. I would take care of myself if I saw my behavior was really off the tracks. I go, it's called subconscious. And the reason why you don't see it is why are you playing it? Because the observing conscious mind went inside to think of something. Then the subconscious grabbed the wheel, took over. Then the conscious mind has no observation of your behavior 95% of the day because it's automatic. Uh, the great story I tell in lectures, and you were there for a number of years, 30 years, same story. God, I hope it's not boring, but it, to me, it's the story that really just says, this is how it works. Like say, you have a friend, you know your friend's behavior very, very well, and you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parent. So, you, you know, you got to tell your friend, you go, Hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill. The moment you say that to Bill, the first response out of Bill is, how can you compare me to my dad? I am nothing like my dad. And everyone laughs and asks, well, I keep telling the same story because everyone has an experience about this. I go, what is the most profound 
arrives at that conclusion is simply this. Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad because that's where he got the program from the first seven years. The only one who can see it is Bill. I go, how could Bill Walsh see that? And I said, why is he playing the program? Oh, it's conscious mind's thinking. Therefore, Bill does not even observe that when he's playing his dad's behavior, he doesn't see it. Everybody else does. And I go, wow. So then Bill's not running his life. His program's running his life. I go, yep. Now the big, so what? Every one of us, 95% of the day, engage in behavior that was downloaded into us by other people before age seven, and that this behavior is predominantly what controls our life. And I go, well, here's the problem. Since up to 70% of those programs are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting, and he says, oh my God, if you let that mind control you, you're going downhill. There's no way to get out of here because you let the autopilot, the other people's beliefs, run your life. And so uh, this is problematic because most people think, oh, I'm running my life, and then I'm going to be successful. And I got up this morning and I thought, oh, today's the day of great success. And then I go to work and then I come home and it's five o'clock and I go, oh my God, it didn't work today. I, I didn't get my success. I didn't get what I was looking for. It's just, a, and then what is the resulting consciousness of that? And here's where it is. I wanted to be successful. It's the universe that keeps me from being successful because if I want it and I'm not getting it, then it must be outside. <laughs> it's causing the problem. And I go, story of Bill. We were our own problem. Unconsciously, 95% of the day, the behavior that was subconscious, below conscious, was sabotaging you and you didn't even know it. And therefore, all you see is the result. I didn't get successful. I wanted to be successful. So it can't be me. Got to be that. I'm victim. And everybody resigns to the fact that life's a bitch. Things are hard. Doesn't work out the way you want. And that's just the way life is. And I go, whoa. <laughs> no, that's just the way you created it. That's why it's that way. Because if you understand this, that you did create this, then you have the key to create something better. But if you think you're a victim, then you don't have any belief that you were involved in this at all. And that's where most people go off the track because they say, I, I had nothing to do with this. And the fact was, no, you had everything to do with this, but it was invisible. And with this 5%, as you shared before, to live in that 5% takes a lot of work and it's like that mindfulness. And so if you're going to be running that program 95% of the time, you might as well put in new programs that serve you because the ones that we've inherited, the 70% negative ones tend to be, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. No, I don't belong. There's all these things that we have. And then we use our environment to reaffirm our beliefs. So I think you also subscribe to the idea that as you mentioned before, you're interpreting things. So it's not your environment that's causing this. If you want to know what kind of programs you're running, look at your life. And that's how you know what kind of programs you're running because your life, what you're experiencing in this five sense world is often congruent with what is your belief or your programs inside. Yeah. Well, uh, Lauren, as I said, it's uh, exactly because of this. If 95% are coming from the program and you didn't put the program in and you can't see the program, then you look at, oh, I'm a victim of the world. I didn't see I was engaged. Bill didn't see it. No, I don't see it. And the idea is, but, but we already been programmed. And, and then comes, I said, but you weren't there for the program because conscious mind wasn't active. So no filtering of the beliefs came in, whatever the belief was. And most of them are critical of who we are. And let's emphasize the reason why is because parents act like coaches of a sports team 
if the child isn't doing well, what does the what does the coach say? Oh, please do better. No way. The coach is going to say, come on, you can do better than that. Who do you think you are? That's not good enough. And I say, well, if a player is old enough and conscious, they can interpret what the coach means. It's like, oh, at this moment, I'm not good enough. I have to try harder. I'll be a better sports player. That's what's taken away. But I say, if the child's under seven, consciousness isn't there. Only thing that's there is record words. And what are they going to record from that coach? Not good enough, not worthy, not lovable enough. And I go, well, why is this relevant? Because a kid under seven years old, that that is imprinted as a program <laughs> in their belief system that's going to operate 95% of the day. So for the people that have, they have the desire. So they have the conscious desire. I don't want to sabotage anymore. I want to fulfill, I want my desires and wishes. I'm not seven anymore or younger. So what are you recommending for them to help change these programs? So they're running programs that serve them when they go into that 95% of the time. Well, the first thing is let's uh, simply talk about assessing what the heck the programs are, because I said they started in utero before you were born. You can't tell me the program you got before you were born. You can't even tell me the program at zero, one or two, maybe at three, you might start getting it, but earlier than that. So a we don't have any idea what the heck the programs are in our conscious mind because it wasn't working. But now 95% of your life is coming from those programs. So then here comes the simple, beautiful readout. And that is simply this. If 95% of your life is coming from the subconscious, then your life by definition is a printout of your programs. So we'll just continue. Bruce, you were talking about this program. And if you're wanting to change the program, because you don't want to live from the 95%, that's 70% negative. So how do we change this program that we're going to fall into 95% of the time anyhow, so it's running good stuff? So the consequence is that 95% of our life is coming from the subconscious programs. And if you can observe the programs, then you can identify what things are not working for you. And therefore, you have an idea of what program you would like to have versus the one you are now displaying. And you say, I want to change the program. And I go, well, this is where problems have really come into an effect because the two minds, conscious, creative mind, subconscious, the habit mind, learn in different ways. And so when we try to apply conscious knowledge to subconscious program, it doesn't generally work. I can gain conscious knowledge reading a self-help book. I, we can gain conscious knowledge watching this video that we're doing right now. We can ch- change consciousness by going, ah, I got a new belief and I changed it. But subconscious is called the habit mind. Relevance about a habit is if it changes, it's not a habit anymore. <laughs> so habits re, you know, resist change. That, that's built into what a habit is. So I say, I, my subconscious mind's habit mind. I said, resist change. I go, yeah, it does. So the significance is how do I make change? I go, the only way you can make change is the way the subconscious mind learns in the first place. Okay. So I said, well, how does it learn? I said, first seven years it learned because the vibration of the brain was not at the higher level of consciousness, is at a lower level of subconscious. Okay. And this is called theta and it's hypnosis. I said, oh, well, then hypnosis is a way to change the mind. I go, absolutely. Point. Do I need to see a hypnotherapist? I go, no. Cool part. You don't need that. You already know what the issues are because they manifest in your life as problems. So I say, what you do is you find a a program that on a stick or a CD or on your computer, a self-help program, self-realization. What is it you want? You've given the background. Now you're going to share how what to do with the, uh, you, you don't have to do hypnosis. You're watching, listening to guided imagery for your wishes and desires. Okay. So every night when you go to bed, there immediately after consciousness checks out, 
there's an opportunity to use theta, which is the next brain state, which is hypnosis. So putting earphones on and hearing a program, interestingly, the conscious mind doesn't hear the program. The program is going straight down into the subconscious. That's called self-hypnosis. That's a very effective way of making change. But after age seven, hypnosis is not how we made new programs. After age seven, we made new programs by repetition, practice. You want to drive a car? Uh, It's a nice idea, but you got to get in the car and practice how to drive the car. You want to play an instrument? Again, good idea. But unless you practice, which is repetition, it won't manifest. So what you want to do is if you want to change your behaviors, you have to practice another behavior. And it does not mean a sticky note. A sticky note is more or less a suggestion for change. Change with the active process of repetition. Okay, simple one. You want to be a happy person? Then all day long, no matter how unhappy you are, you repeat to yourself, I am happy. I am happy. I am happy. And it sounds kind of silly because you're not happy. (laughs) But I say repetition. I say, so what's the result? Habituation. At some point, the subconscious mind learns, I am happy. I am happy. You don't have to even repeat it anymore. I say, what's relevant? The function of the mind is to make coherence between your beliefs and your reality. If I put in a belief, I am happy and I'm not, guess what the function of the mind is? To make me happy. So all of a sudden I say, once I have the program installed, I am happy, I will automatically create behaviors to generate happiness. The new age way of looking at it, I like it, it's a funny statement, is fake it till you make it. Meaning act or pretend that you have what you want and just pretend it and repeat it because that's the habit that that will ultimately put that belief in. And once a belief is in, the cool part is no more work on your part because once the belief is in, it's the subconscious and the mind's ability to manifest that subconscious program, which is automatic. So the cool part is you want to change your life? Yeah, there's a little work up front, but once the new program is in, It's automatic. You don't have to work on it anymore. So it's a lot easier then. So we have two ways that we discuss. Number one, hypnosis, self-hypnosis. Every night when you go to bed, earphones playing a program. Number two, repetition, habituation. This is the second way that we learn things. So after age seven, whatever you learn, riding a bike, driving a car, whatever it is, you learned it by practicing. And so you can learn something new by practicing new behavior. And then lastly, something brand new, I connected to the old phrase, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And significance is this, the world is facing a mass extinction, which includes human beings, not in a thousand years, no, within decades. And the significance is human behavior is creating the problem. Therefore, the only way out of the problem is to change human behavior. And so nature has created a change mechanism that is fabulous because it's so fast and efficient compared to the uh, hypnosis or the habituation. It's called energy psychology. And it engages what I would refer to as super learning in the brain. So you can download new behaviors within minutes rather than in days or weeks using the other two modalities on my website. BruceLipton.com, simple. Under resources, is a whole listing of 25 or more energy psychology modalities that can be employed to change a belief. And I said, well, what do you want to change? I said, oh, just go back. And I said, 
what in your life isn't working? If you're not healthy, the statement is, I am healthy. If you're not lovable, the statement is, I am lovable. And you take those positive ones using A, hypnosis, B, repetition, or C, energy psychology, and you install those programs, and then your life will change. Your behavior will change. Your biology will change. Your life experiences will change. And they change toward what you want it to change to. So all of a sudden it says, oh my goodness, I'm going to create the life I want. I go, yes, you can do that. But you have to make sure the programs in your subconscious support the life you want. And I said, well, that's when you just look at your life. Wherever the struggle is, it just generally reflects that that belief is not part of your programming. Thank you for that. And, you know, in my practice, I do acupuncture. I also use Psyche because of you. I got introduced to Psyche through you and EFT, the Bankston Healing Method, Rapid Transformation Therapy. So check out Bill's website under resources because there's several that you can do. In my experience in, in, in clinic, when I started not just focusing on the physical complaint, but the emotional and the programs that we found underneath kind of regression work, this is when I see the miracles for my patients, the transformations on the table. And so it is rapid. It is, you know, people feel a sense of peace when they come through one of these sessions. So I encourage people to look for those guided imageries to listen to. First thing when you wake up or go to bed, as Dr. Lipton has mentioned, that's when you're going into that alpha and theta naturally. So it's a perfect time to reprogram. And then there's techniques that you can, um, energy psychology or these belief change modalities that can help do that rapid learning. So thanks for sharing that. Well, and, and let me just emphasize, acupuncture, of course, is a very serious understanding because the information is not really chemical information, it's energy information. And uh, understanding the energy circulatory system, which is what acupuncture focuses on, you can free up the flow of that energy and affect where it's inhibited. So indeed, acupuncture is a, a way of accessing that consciousness that is interfacing with your body. Rather than dealing with your body, you can deal with the energy flow, and then the right. body will accommodate that. And a few interesting things with the acupuncture. One is people often refer to it as the acubuzz. You know, they feel a little different after the treatment because acupuncture through using heart rate variability to measure it kind of engages the parasympathetic. So I understand, I believe it's putting you into that alpha and even theta. So it's a perfect entry to doing that reprogramming of, of the mind on the table. And then it is information. Like you said, it's energy where sometimes you put acupuncture into, you do an acupuncture session for your patient and then they go, I don't understand. I have these crazy sadness and they don't have any reason. And then they just cathartic cry. They just release because again, the body is letting go, releasing. So it's all these modalities are so available to us in this common area that there's just so much available. So again, check out Bruce's website because he's got these resources and there's many ways to help you heal and uh, heal your mind, which helps you on an emotional level. And then you get the physical positive repercussions. Bruce, you mentioned um, in some of our conversation that humanity is facing crisis. It's not a long time away. It's like decades where we could lose our planet or we as a, as humanity could become extinct. And I love, uh, I've used this before, Einstein, I, I love Einstein, you know, his quotes. And you've talked about, you can't solve a problem at the same level you've created that. And so there's so many people thinking about global warming humanity, but in my opinion, they're trying to solve the problem at the level we've created it. And I think you have a different take. Can you share, and this kind of ties into your book, Spontaneous Evolution, I think is the title of, of the book. What can we do as individuals to change the course of extinction of humanity and the loss of our planet? Well, I think one of the most important things is, first of all, 
understanding who we really are. <laughs> uh, that we look at ourselves as, oh, we're just beings that got here by some accident. I'm on the earth, just like an ant or a horse or some other animal on the earth. And I go, no, it's a little bit more than that because uh, we are endowed with creativity. And it turns out, and, and let me emphasize, is uh, quantum physics, the most valid science on the planet primary principle of quantum physics is consciousness is creating our reality. And so the issue is if you look at the reality and it's not really working right, there are people who say, well, let's go change the reality. And I go, no, first change the consciousness because that's what's manifesting reality. So uh, this is an opportunity to say, first, who are we? Well, we've been programmed to perceive that we're just victims of life. And, you know, we go out there and just hope for the best when the truth is absolutely that we're creators of this life. If we would get that power back, we would create something totally different. But most people just feel, hey, I am a victim. That was the program. I am victim. And I have no power on this planet. When in fact, you are creating this planet. Collectively, we make the, the creation. Uh, and it's significant because our thoughts are shaping the world. Einstein, let's bring Einstein in here for one second. There's an energy realm and what we perceive as a material realm, but that's an illusion because what is material is actually energy. I say, so what was the relevant quote? And the quote is this, the field, which is the invisible energy that's around us, which includes thought, is the sole governing agency of the particle. Particle is matter. And what does that mean? It says your thoughts are creating the material expression of this world. And this is a fact of physics, and now it's a fact of biology as well. Your thoughts are manifesting your genes and your behavior to conform to whatever your thoughts are. And so therefore, we have to look at uh, the way we've been living on this planet because our thoughts are somehow we're separate from nature. Oh, we can do whatever we want. You know, the biblical belief is nature was created and then God said, hey, let's add some humans on top of that. And, and that separated us from the creation. Oh, creation first, humans later. It's like, no, <laughs> we were created with the creation. <laughs> we are nature. We have never been separated from nature except in our consciousness. But when we consciously separate from nature, it says then we can do whatever we want. And it's like doing whatever we want has actually, you know, destroyed the garden of which we are part of the animals in that garden. And now that the garden is collapsing, the ecosystem is collapsing, we, along with the other animals that are disappearing, are going to disappear as well. And I say, well, then what's causing this? Well, this is called the sixth mass extinction that we're in. By definition, that means there were five mass extinctions previous to this one. I go, yes, uh, the last one actually was 66 million years ago. There was a mass extinction. And I go, what was happening? I say, well, the world was thriving. Nature was thriving. And there were these massive dinosaurs all over the place. And the, the ecosystem was thriving. And boom, it disappeared. It was now attributed to a comet hitting near Mexico that upended the ecosystem. But it wiped out the organisms. And life had to start all over again. And I say, well, now here we are the sixth time. Previous five due to natural things like the comet hitting the earth or tectonic plates moving with earthquakes and volcanoes and things like that. But this mass extinction is caused by human behavior. And it basically says we have misunderstood who we are in the scheme of what nature is all about. We are nature. If we destroy nature, we destroy ourselves. So we need to recalculate who we really are in this. And the first thing is, as we've just been talking about, we are creators. <laughs> But if we create because we see they're a victim, we're a victim of the world and it's out of control, then we create a world out of control. 
and it's time for us to own our responsibility. We better start recognizing, like the indigenous people of this planet did, such as the Native Americans, uh, First Nation people up in Canada, uh, both of them recognize they are part of a garden <laughs> and that their job was to be gardeners in the garden. Somewhere along the line, we've lost that connectivity that we own everything, we can do what we want with everything because we're the masters. And how's that working out? And the fact is we lost our connection with nature. We lost our connection with ourselves. And so this is a wake-up call that says, you better go out there and start taking care of your yard because the world is falling apart. I don't want you to go out and save the world. The old hippie thing is before you save the world, save your own backyard. I think this is where we have to start. As individuals, we have to say, look, am I living in harmony with this planet? And if I'm not, then I am part of the problem because it's the disharmony that is causing the destruction. Uh, and so there's a wake-up call for all of us right now. And it says, are you living in harmony? Well, you know, it's interesting because if you are living in harmony, guess what? Then you're going to be healthy, you're going to be happy, and you're going to create an environment that is heaven on earth. <laughs> and we're not doing that. And I say, why? Because program, I'm a victim of this and these problems are not anything to do with me. And it's like, Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, and until we own responsibility, then by definition, we are victims of the world in which we're in. So your work, Lauren, is really critical for me because it's really trying to wake people up and say, if you're creating, what the heck are you creating? Look at your world and tell me if this is this what you want. Uh, and it's all programming. And this is where we then got into the programming that our behavior that we're expressing, which is not in harmony with life, is not from our conscious wishes and desires. It's just the program that's been passed from generation to generation to generation. And now it's a wake-up call that says, stop the program, because this program is self-destructive at this point. And human civilization has caused the problem. And as the Einstein quote said, if we created the problem, then we damn well better change the <laughs> way we're living because the problem will persist as long as we keep you know, living the way we're living. So it's important for, for all of us to come to the realization that we are playing programs. They're not in harmony with the world. They're not in harmony with ourselves. We are sick. The planet's sick. And the only way to change that is not to change the body, not to change the planet, but first change the consciousness, because that's where everything is manifesting from. And so, A, we're spiritual. B, we are very powerful in controlling our lives because epigenetics, the new science, shows that our biology, our behavior, our, our health, and issues like that are totally controlled by consciousness. And that if we start to exercise that consciousness, not only do we save ourselves, but we save the planet as well. Uh, and so this, these are two big wake-up calls right now that we have to pay attention to. To follow on that idea of going inside, if the external world is a reflection of what's going on in the inside, then what are your thoughts on that we as a collective have a lot of fear because it seems like the leadership, the political leadership and what we see around the world is producing a lot of fear around the world. And if we're not going to play victims, one approach, the old approach is to blame, oh, it's this leader's fault, this country's fault, this leader's fault, but they're just a manifestation reflection of what's going on inside of us. So if we can change the program of fear and that we are worthy and that there are enough and there's enough to go around and we're not separate Theoretically, then, based on what you're sharing, if we can change those programs and then the frequency changes here, will that impact our world? Is that what you're suggesting? 100%. Uh, and this is so critical because each of us is a manifestation creating 
mechanism. I'm making the world I'm living in. And if I look at the world and I go, oh, it's really those people and those people, then guess what? I'm still involved. I'm accepting what they're saying. So I'm not, you know, an innocent bystander. If I'm supporting the fact that I agree that, yeah, they're, this thing is really bad. It's not working right. I agree with it. Then I'm agreeing with the situation that exists right now. And you say, yeah, but it's those people. I go, yeah, but you're accepting what those people are saying. And it's when we as individuals decide, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to change my world. I'm going to change my life. I want to empower myself. That is the only opportunity for freedom on this planet that we keep waiting for other people to give us freedom. It's like, no, only you can give yourself freedom (laughs) and only you can decide, is this the way you want to do it? Is this satisfying? And if the answer is no, then it's like, well, you're the one that's doing it. How about doing something different? Oh, that's the Einstein quote. Why? You keep doing the same thing. You're going to get the same thing. If you stop doing that and do something different, there's opportunity for something new to express itself. And so, you know, your efforts, Lauren, are so critical is it won't work if we don't empower ourselves as individuals. Collectively, the civilization uh, has been controlled because there were people who knew how to program us and how to disempower us. Listen, the idea that the programming in the first seven years occurs and that that programming shapes the rest of our lives, 400 years old in the history. The Jesuits for 400 years told their followers, they said, give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. They told people that whatever program I put in by age seven, that's the character of your life. Well, that's been known for 400 years. Do you you think the leadership of the world has ignored that fact? Are you kidding me? The programming is much more effective now than it ever was before. All you have to do is watch an infant walking around with an iPad. You go, holy jeez, the kid's being programmed on a computer already. Uh, And it's like, yep, and that's the beginning. And the reality is we must recognize the difference between who we are and the program that we are creating. If we don't like our life, if our consistent belief was go out there and fix it or somebody else is causing the problem. But the new science, and especially what you're engaged in, Lauren, is the opportunities. They know I am creating my life. And if I'm creating it, do I have a choice? I go, absolutely. And I know that personally. Why? Because my got a completely different life. After learning the lessons of the cells about the environment and the belief and the programming and all that, my life was a struggle most of the time. I mean, I did really well in my profession as a scientist, but boy, I really sucked on personal life experiences. (laughs) I mean, I I couldn't get a relationship to work. I guess, oh, wonder if that's just the same program that my father and mother were. Oh, yeah, I did that program. It didn't work for me either. (laughs) But once understanding it was programming, it was like, Do I want this? No. What do I want? Oh, I have a vision. Now what? Take that vision, make it a program, as we talked about, by downloading the subconscious, and now you've just changed your life. And the significance is this. You don't have to be engaged in the system. You can step outside the system. I'm outside the system. What does that mean? Well, I engage with people. I do my job and all that, but I don't follow the news. Uh, I don't follow the political people. They don't speak for me. I just like... Let me create my own personal life, because if I download their life into my life, my life sucks. (laughs) So it's like, hey, get off that news and get off that TV stuff and start taking care of yourself. Start taking care of your, your yard, your kids, your neighborhood. Why? That's where you live. 
And if you're not living in harmony, then everything you see on TV, you just brought into your own yard. And the idea is you can live without participating with them. You don't have to contribute your consciousness to their consciousness. And people, you know, think, oh, well, my thoughts are only in my head, so I'm not affecting anybody out here. How do we know you're in your head? Oh, there was a thing called electroencephalograph, and I put wires on, and I read my brain activity. It's inside. And now I tell you, guess what? There's a new device called magnetoencephalograph, and the probe is out here, and it reads what's going on in your mind. And I say, what's the meaning of that? And I go, your thoughts are not contained in your head. Your thoughts are sending out a field. And I go, what's the relevance of my thoughts on a field? And I go, Einstein quote, the field is the sole governing of the particle, sole governing agency of the particle. I say, so my thoughts are generating a field, which then are the governing agency of my matter? And I go, yes. And all of a sudden, it's like, holy God, then the world around me is not an accident. I'm broadcasting the field to shape that world. And when you change your thoughts, you change the shape of the world in which you live. And we bought into the victim. We bought into the leadership that they know what the hell is going on. No, they know how to control you. And let me tell you a simple fact. When you're under stress, this is a real important fact that they know as well. I'm going to tell it to you is when you're under stress, stress hormones squeeze the blood vessels in the forebrain, squeeze them shut because that pushes the blood to the hindbrain. I say, what's the difference? Forebrain is creative consciousness. Hindbrain is reaction reflex. Point is this. If we stress people, they become less intelligent. They become more reactive. And all of a sudden, I say, well, then you lost your power. Because remember, your power was the creativity of the conscious brain. But in stress, it's shut off. And all of a sudden, your creativity is gone. And now you're out there just like every other person, reacting and responding to other people without even invoking your creative ability. And they know that. So the more stress they put us under, the less intelligent we become. For the listeners, um, three books I'm going to mention that are tied to this. One is Bruce's books, um, The Honeymoon Effect and Spontaneous Evolution. You'll go in deeper in that. And then I don't know if you if you read, it's Napoleon Hill wrote The Outwitting the Devil in 1938, but it was only published in 2011. And it kind of goes into this also about drifting. And if you're conscious and you change the programs, you can have heaven on earth. And if you're drifting, yes. you let fear run your life, then you are, you're subject to, to hell on this planet. And it all starts with your mind. I like what you're sharing. It reminds me, one of the consciousness teachers um, I have here in Vancouver is uh, Gila Golub, who uh, talks passionately about you as well. And she always shared, it was basically what gave me freedom when she said, you can't change anybody else's behaviors. You can't heal the planet. Only you can heal your own mind. And by healing your own mind, because you see the world, you perceive the world through the lenses of your subconscious, when you heal your own mind, then other people, what you put out in the field, your environment changes and how you interact with other people will change and the planet will heal. So for our listeners who feel overwhelmed, I need to heal the world. I got to change. You don't have to change anybody. And I want to confirm, Bruce, what you're sharing is you just have to heal your own mind. We're on the airplane and you put your oxygen mask on. That's all you need to do. And then once you're clean and good, then you can start putting oxygen mask on other people. But right now, if you're stressed and feeling overwhelmed, guided imagery, hypnosis, acupuncture, EFT, psyche, repetition, turn off the news, read books that are going to be inspiring you. So we got three from Dr. Bruce Lipton, listen to the podcast he offers. 
this is what I've been doing for the last couple of years to make my shift is I constantly am listening to audiobooks when I drive and walk versus other things, especially the news, because I realize that repetition, I need to override the programs I was giving culturally in utero and through life. And I found it's made a dramatic, it's made a dramatic difference. Like you've had your experience. For me, it's been a great experience. What I want to share is it does take work. It's not like you read the book, as you mentioned, your conscious will get it, but it hasn't gone into the program. So it still takes these daily practices and the discipline to do this on a regular basis, or you'll fall back into these old programs. Has that been your experience as well? This is absolutely what it's all about. And let me emphasize something that you brought up because it's really, uh, it, it causes an emotional problem with us. And that is we have dear loved ones and we see that their lives aren't really going well. And of course, we want to help them, as you said, and we want to help them. And the idea is you cannot help them. They can help themselves. But when you think you're going to change somebody else's belief system, it's going to really lead up to a lot of problems because you're going to put a lot of effort in and then ultimately find that nothing really happened. All that work you did to help somebody and they're still in the same place. And the point is simply this. They will not change until they are ready to change. If you are ready to change, take care of yourself. And the significance is simple because as you start to live in health and harmony and joy around you, guess what? It's a magnet. It will draw other people to you to find out, hey, how did you get so happy? How come you're so healthy? What are you doing? And then they open the door for you to say, oh, let me help you. But if they didn't come up and say, hey, help me, and you really want to help them because family, friends, whatever, it's like, that's going to be very frustrating because if they're not ready, only they can change themselves. And if we take it on ourselves that we're going to change them, you're already in a loss. You're not going to make it. It won't happen. And as I personally know, I mean, when I understood the mechanism of how life was working because the cells revealed it to me and I saw, oh my God, we're creating this and that if we do this differently, we can create heaven on earth. And I couldn't wait to get a group of people together and say, let me tell you about this science. If you understand this science, you could create the most fabulous life. And I give my lecture and they look at me and they go, you know, Lipton, your, your life doesn't look that good for a guy who says, you know, this stuff. And that's when I realized I knew it in my conscious mind, but it never got translated to be a conscious mind. So we're all pretty damn smart in a conscious mind, but it doesn't download into the subconscious mind. It's a nice piece of information but it will have no valid nature of influencing your life if it doesn't come into the subconscious programming. So the idea is, yes, enhance your conscious mind, but then take the steps to take that talking into walking. Can I live up? That's what I had to stop lecturing because I realized if this is really true, what I'm talking about, why the heck is my life not so wonderful? And, and that was because then the realization, my conscious mind learned separately and in a different way than the subconscious. So I can educate my conscious mind, oh man, be a genius. But if it doesn't translate into subconscious programs, it's meaningless on your life, except for the frustration that will cause because you know better, but you're not living better. So you got to be the example. So, and this is, I think it's worth repeating. Don't go and try and change other people. <laughs> Just be the example. And then they will ask you, what have you done? I mean, that was my experience. A friend of mine, I was like, what have you done? And then that's how I got introduced to the Gila Golub work is he said, this is what changed me. Cause I could see you're different and he's going to try this. And that was my experience as well. I have a few questions from colleagues. Yes. That I want. So somebody asked if you could explain split personalities where, 
one personality has diabetes, but when they're in the other personality, it doesn't have diabetes or one needs glasses, one doesn't. Can you explain that based on your background? My suggestion is simply this. Remember that the brain is uh, sending information to the body energetically. It's the electrical activity that is creating this, right? That if there's an alteration in the identity, it then leads to an alteration in the psychology because they're not the same. They're fingerprints. EEG is a fingerprint of an identity. And so I say, well, what is it that like multiple personality? Where does this come from? I say, because we can acquire a download from somebody else. We can make a new download for ourselves. I go, so why is this relevant? Well, let's say I'm being abused and I'm facing severe pain and anxiety and everything. It's like, if I stay in there, I'm going to die in there. So guess what? I let go of my identity at that moment. I'm now off into another world. I'm not there. When I change personality, I'm not connected to that person anymore. Now I'm in a different personality. But each personality has its own unique vibrational characteristics to it. And the vibrations then determine the characteristic of the biology. So multiples pick different personalities. Is it because of a choice or is it because there's a, I didn't get into this before, but what makes us each different from each other is we each have a unique identity. How do, where's that? I say, well, look, if I take my cells out of my body and put it into yours, Lauren, your immune system is going to say not self and destroy those cells. I take your cells, put it in my body, my immune system is going to say not self, destroy those cells. What's the point? The immune system can identify who you are by looking at the cells. And I said, what is the identity? And I say, ah, there's a unique set of protein antennas, like miniature nano antennas on the surface of the cell. No two people have a set of the exact same set. It's like a combination lock. And these are identity receptors and they're called self-receptors. I go, well, that's a cool name. Not that it was intended by the people who named it that, but if you say self-receptor, it means receiver of self. And I go, yes, we're a broadcast picked up by these antennas. So I say, pathologically, what if one of these antennas, the protein antenna changed? I go, oh, well, then the broadcast is going to be different. And all of a sudden it says, oh, well, if I have uh, receptors that can change, then I can pick up different stations because I'm a station. My identity is a broadcast being picked up by the receptors on my cell. This changed my entire life for the important part was it says, what if the cell dies? I go, broadcast is still there. It's like television set. My body is a television set playing the broadcast called The Bruce Show. You're watching The Bruce Show. Bruce's physical body dies. Television is broken. Television doesn't work. Television's dead. But is the broadcast still there? If you're watching a show and the television dies, is the broadcast still there? And the answer, of course, it's still there. How would you know? You get another television set, plug it in and turn it on and tune it <laughs> to the station. And it's back on again. When I understood this, like, oh, my God, I'm not even in here. I'm a broadcast. And my cells are picking this up. And in this life, this is the television set that I'm using. But if I die and an embryo shows up with the same set of antennas, self-receptors, I'm back online. But did it say it was a male or female embryo? Not relevant. Does it make a difference if white, black, red, yellow, brown? <laughs> That's the television set. If the receiving system changes, like one of the proteins alters every now and then, flip-flops, then I change the station that I'm receiving. So I can receive a different identity. But each identity has its own unique psychology, which is then sent to the body. So if I change my identity, I send the broadcast to the body, which adjusts my genes and my behavior to the new broadcast. 
And this is what multiples have to, they go back and forth, they change their biology every time uh, the, the different personality comes in because the broadcast is different. I want to link this to what we've talked about earlier then. So if your thinking can change gene expression, so I'm assuming it's changing these self-receptors, like you're talking about the protein shifting. So if you have poor health or you don't like your life situation and you consciously change your program, therefore change your personality, change your psychology, then physically you'll get a new broadcast. So you could be healthy, abundant, loving Bruce versus not loving or poor brutes with cancer. So this is where this is going then. If you change the thinking and you change the proteins, I have a new broadcast and that broadcast could have love, money, and good health. Absolutely. And that was the whole idea. I said, if you think that's the only station you have, the one that's causing you all the problems, as we just talked about, I said, well, you can change the station. <laughs> you can change the program. And all of a sudden, the whole life changes along with it. So in fact, we actually are not clinically expressing, but we're all multiple personalities, depending on where we are, what we're doing, who we're with, because it changes. At work, you have a whole different personality than you may have at home. Therefore, you have a whole different biology at work than the biology you're going to express while you're at home. All of a sudden it says, it's plastic. Yes. And once you know that, then all of a sudden it says, but wait, instead of being an accident, what if I purposely manifest it? I go, oh, that's the choice. That's when you become powerful. It's your choice to change the program. I love, and this reminds me in your good friend, Dr. Joe Dispenza, you can cause an effect or causing the effect. And cause and effect is more victim. You know, the environment impacts how you're going to feel. And causing the effect is rehearsing what you want to attract to yourself. And that's Absolutely. what's going to be the expression. One's a reflex behavior, subconscious, input, output, stimulus, response. No thinking, just input, output. But if you start to operate from the conscious mind and not defer to subconscious programming, then creativity is between the stimulus and the output. But if it's a low subconscious stimulus in, response out, no thinking. And that's why, you know, programming a person's subconscious, autom they're automatically creating behavior with no thought involved, just the input output. And the only power we have is to recognize I'm the one who can decide what the hell is going to happen between the input and the output. And if I can decide that, then I can manipulate my life character. And that's, that's what we're talking about. And you said something that I want to just latch on to. We are the broadcast. We are not the TV set. We right. are the broadcast consciousness. So how has that shifted for you? Basically, does this mean we don't die as consciousness if we're the broadcast? If my body is the TV set and I drop, break the TV set, the physical body has gone, but the, my broadcast, my consciousness of Lauren still exists? Absolutely. This is what changed my life. Now, I mean, a lot of my scientific colleagues saying, oh, Lipton, you're just extending this to be weird. And I go, hey, it fits what we know. <laughs> and therefore, it makes sense out of the concept that many people can refer to a previous life and actually demonstrate that they that wasn't an accident, that somehow or other they were here before. And if you really can talk to a youngster, let's say somewhere between two and three, and say to them, hey, so tell us uh, about where you were before you came here. At that age, they actually still have some conscious 
recollection of where they were before. But then it sort of disappears just shortly after that so that we lost the continuity of the previous existences. But if you get a child early enough and can have a dialogue, they will indicate usually where, you know, that they were here before already. And this is beautiful because then it says, I am more than this body. I I am the spirituality. And it's a two-way street. My consciousness is influencing my spirituality. That's called the karma, because I'm broadcasting back to source. The analogy I use in the lectures is, I can't go to Mars, but I want to know what it's about. So I send up the equivalent of a human. I say, that little Mars rover go-kart is the equivalent of a human? I go, well, it does. It moves around. And it has sense receptors that read the environment uh, so we know what's going on. So I say, how's it work? I say, there's a guy at NASA. He sends a signal to the rover, drives it around. And then what? Well, the rover picks up all this information. What does it do? Sends it back to the guy at NASA. So I say, oh, I'm not on Mars, but I can tell you what the temperature is all about. I can tell you what it looks like. I can tell you, you know, all these different characteristics. I go, all of us are the equivalent of that NASA, and this is called an Earth rover, that we are controlling this, just like the Mars lander, making it move, doing all these things. I say, why is it relevant? Because we're creating the experience, and we're not in it. And as a result, we can change the damn experience. You're the driver of the vehicle. You were given driving lessons by your parents and your community, but most of those lessons are really defective and not allowing you to drive your vehicle to where you want. And then I say, what is the absolute meaning of what I just said in my mind? Bottom line, simple. You don't die and go to heaven. You're born on earth into heaven. This is where consciousness now has a mechanism. It can move around. It can create life. I said, consciousness alone is a broadcast. It's happening right here. Hey, look, you're in the middle of cell phone broadcasts, radio broadcasts, television broadcasts, but since you don't receive them, they have no impact on your life. But this system is receiving a broadcast of identity that allows me, like the guy at NASA, to drive this vehicle. And as I drive it, the environment is picked up by my system, nervous system, translated into a broadcast. That's why magnetoencephalograph can read your mind out here because it's being broadcast back to the source. I say, so what's the relevance? It's heaven on earth. And you go, yeah, but my life doesn't look like heaven. I go, well, that's perhaps because your program is not allowing you to get there. Because when you fall in love, many people at that moment of falling in love stop playing the damn program and keep their conscious hands on the wheel and drive it toward wishes and desires. And in 24 hours after falling in love, your life could have sucked every day. And then 24 hours after falling in love, heaven on earth. Well, how the hell did that happen? And the answer was, oh, because we know falling in love is one of the things that keeps your mind present and therefore prevents the subconscious from running the show. And when you keep your conscious mind present, which is creative, what do you think you're going to manifest? What you want. And so the honeymoon is just a moment where we actually, for a moment in our lives, stop playing the program. I said, what was the consequence? Health, harmony, joy, love, beautiful experiences. Wow, that was what the intention was when we first got here. But if you got misprogrammed, then your life will be a struggle. As you try to attempt what you want to get your creative wish, but have to deal with the damn programming that takes you away from that. And so, what if you could have a honeymoon every day the rest of your life? The answer is you can. (laughs) I love it. And again, you want a honeymoon every day, 
check out BruceLipton.com and his book, The Honeymoon Effect. I got to enjoy your lecture in Nanaimo, and then I got to uh, get the book right after that. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you very much. Some resources for you guys. BruceLipton.com. There's books there. There's videos. And then books, all three of Bruce Lipton's. Somebody asked me, which one? All of them, of course. Like, if you want to heal your mind, I wish it was easy with one book. Repetition. I've read each of your books more than twice. So keep reading. Because the conscious mind can only take it a little bit. Subconsciously, you get it all on the first read. But, you know, it's nice to have some of it up front in the consciousness. Well, actually, the conscious mind got it all on the first read. The subconscious mind started to pick it up on the second read. Because now you're repetition. And then there's Dr. Joe Dispenza has some great books, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Being Supernatural. Jill Blakeway has a book on energy medicine. There's tons of resources for those people that are like, okay, I, I want to have joy and happy. They want effortless abundance. They want perfect health. They want loving relationships, right? Purpose and meaning. I, I mean, we're all, we're more the same than different. And so I encourage you to look at as much as you can because it's available to us now. That's what's so great. So brucelitham.com, check out the AccuBalance YouTube channel. Check out some of those books that we've recommended because my incentive here, why do I want you to do this? I want the planet to heal. I'm healing my mind as much as I can. I'm sharing it in my clinic and when I do my talks. However, I know you have to heal your mind to heal the planet. So I'm healing mine. And then I want to spread this information so people can do their work. And it is work. And thank you very much, Bruce. Lauren, thank you for this opportunity to talk to this wonderful audience, because if they're listening to us, they're ready to look for something different. Uh, and, the, you know, the important thing for me is simply this. Uh, I'm a student of this as much as anybody else is a student. This was not my life. I had to, as I said, translate my conscious awareness of what the cells told me into subconscious behavior so I could live what they told me. And as soon as I did that, my life did change. And I'm so happy for where I am now compared to where I was before. It's a great thing. And thanks for sharing your experience and your knowledge and bringing some science to the mystical as well and spirituality. So as you mentioned, it used to be the church and now it's science. So for us to want to take that leap of faith and to make the change and do the work, we need a little bit of encouragement and it helps when um, there's some science to give it some credibility and backup. So thank you for doing the work. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so very much. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach, using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to AccuBalance.ca, that's A-C-U-Balance.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.